Well, thank you, Tom, and uh, welcome to another in our series, Spring Into Action. Uh, this spring, we're looking at a whole variety of passage, passages that help us learn how to be active in sharing our faith. It's part of what Paul taught his people back in the first century, to be active in sharing our faith. Just before we dig into that, why don't we uh, have a look at our coffee-drinking friend and his mate, Bob. That's not them. That's a party they attended once. This is going to be more casual, just drinking a bit of coffee and having a little chat. You know, you ever done that with someone? And it's, it's turned around to a spiritual conversation. Um, well, Bob's going to tell us about uh, a journey he goes on with a, a Christian friend and uh, how those conversations lead from one thing to another. Are we good to go with it? Goes Bob, my bro, <laughs> off to work. He invited me to church on Sunday. Sorta. <laughs> we were playing golf yesterday, and he, he was lining up this putt. Mentioned something about this great sermon series at church. How it was helping with some stress in his life. I said. That sounds interesting. I could use a little help there myself. There, there was this long pause. And then he says, you wouldn't want to go with me, would you? To church? <laughs> Almost like he was assuming I wouldn't want to go. Not sure why he'd think that. I mean, if it helps him, he's my friend. Maybe it helped me too. So I said, yeah, yeah, I think I would. <laughs> and his eyes got big. <laughs> and then he missed his putt. <laughs> so, I guess I'm going to church on Sunday. Hope the roof don't cave in. Oh, well, time to go to work. Fantastic. Well, there'll be another installment about a coffee drinking mate and his Christian friend Bob next week. You know, Australia has um, some... Uh, history of absolutely outstanding lay evangelists. There are real legends, actually, in uh, church history. I'm going to tell you about one of these guys today. It's the story of Frank Jenner, the George Street evangelist. There he is with a couple of sailors he led to Christ. And you're going to hear a little bit about those in just a moment. Someone who popularized the, the, the story of this guy was the Reverend Dixon. He's a British preacher. And the Reverend Dixon uh, won... Um, a uh, Sunday event, he heard this guy stand up and share a testimony. The testimony went like this. I was, I was um, walking along George Street and this fellow says to me, hey, sailor, 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 you've got a moment. I've got a question I need to ask you. Um, we'll move on to that picture later. And uh, in the journey of um, that question, he got talking and the question started like this. 
hey, listen, if you were to die tonight, where would you find yourself? Heaven or hell? Pretty abrupt question, eh? Well, the sailor had a little conversation with him about spiritual stuff and left, feeling somewhat offended, actually. He got back to England, he shares in his testimony, and he just could not get rid of this question. He sought spiritual counsel and gave his life to Christ. Well, the Reverend Dixon was there hearing this story, and he was fascinated because he'd met a sailor just a few days before who came to him saying, this dude on George Street shared with me this question. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? And, and I couldn't get the question out of the mind, my mind, he says to the Reverend Dixon. I mean, what do I do? Reverend Dixon leads him to Christ. A few days between. So Dixon's thinking, my goodness. That same story. Both guys were British, actually, just on shore leave in Sydney. Same story. Who is this guy, I wonder? Well, this is interesting because I've got an Australian preaching tour coming up next week. So he arrives in Adelaide, Reverend Dixon. And he thinks to himself, I'm going I'm to share that story about those sailors. So he did. And then he says, is there anyone else here who has come to faith through this George Street evangelist guy? And the guy who's hosting the meeting, Mr. Wilkes, he says, well, actually I did. There was a guy on George Street who asked me that question. That's how I, how I got saved. The actual host of the evangelistic event where Dixon was coming to speak. Well, then he was off to Perth, flew over to Perth. And then arriving in Perth, um, he does the same thing. He shares those stories and um, invited anyone to let him know. So this guy comes up to him after the service. He says, yeah, look, a similar story. I was getting on a tram, George Street, Sydney, and this guy yells out to me, hey, soldier, soldier, because he, he was in the armed forces. Soldier, soldier, stop for a moment. I've got a question for you. If you were to die tonight, where would you find yourself, heaven or hell? Now, I could not get that question out of my head, and I gave my life to Christ. Now he heads up Christian Endeavour. This is a guy in Perth. Well, Reverend Dixon's thinking, I'm arriving at Sydney. That's my next stop. I want to find out who this guy is. So he starts asking around. And sure enough, people, of course, knew who the George Street Evangelist was. One of the guys said to him, that'll be Frank Jenner. Let me introduce to you. I know where he lives. And they popped over to his house. Let's have a look at the second picture now. And so Frank Jenner, there you can see George Street, a little more modern times. But uh, that's where he witnessed time and time again sharing that question. Well, um, Frank Jenner's about this age as he sits down with the Reverend Dixon and uh, meets his wife and they have a chat for a bit over a cup of tea and then Dixon shares him those four stories I just told you. Frank Jenner then, with hearing those stories, just threw himself on the ground and ended up saying this, interesting. He said, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for tolerating me. <laughs> anyway, um, over, over the years, uh, he'd been sharing the gospel by that time for about 16 years. He went on to do it uh, for up until um, about another 14 years until he just became too old and frail to keep on doing it. But from time to time, the Reverend Dixon would share those um, George Street evangelist stories. He shared them at a UK Christian convention one year. And at the convention, he had three pastors come up to him who all said, that question, same thing, George Street, that's how I got saved. They're all full-time pastors now. Then he was at a missionary convention all the way up in India. India. And he shared this, happens to share the stories. And he has a full-time misho now, Indian guy. And he says something like this to him. It was several years ago. I was visiting Sydney. I'm not a believer. 
And this funny little man, he come up to me and he asked me this, this question. And, you know, he goes on and tells the story. Now he's a full-time missionary. He was at a Jamaican missions conference. Dixon shares a story. Two missionaries, they're full-time missionaries now, said they came to faith in Christ with this guy who asked that question on George Street. United States Chaplain Naval Conference happened to share the story. He has a full-time chaplain come up to him and said, that's how I got saved on George Street with a guy who asked me that question. Some of you have heard some of those stories. I read the biography about this guy recently from um, uh, Jenner of George Street by Raymond Wilson. And Wilson goes on to talk about a lot about other stuff, though, that, that uh, Jenner did as well. One of the things he used to do was often late Saturday night, he was out sharing the gospel, and he would meet people, sometimes who were just in Sydney for a day, and he'd say, hey, why don't you come back and sleep at my place? Cook you up a big breakfast. And often... He'd have a bunch of people there early Sunday morning cooking them up bacon and eggs and beans and toast and hot tea. And there in his, his um, fairly small apartment, he used to squash them in, you know, 10, 20, even up to 30 people in there. And they'd be all eating breakfast together. Some of them brand new believers that gave their heart to Christ that night. Others that were just there for a free breakfast. And, so, and his, he and his wife who were committed Christians and sometimes one or two of their friends. And around that breakfast area... There was all this conversation going on, talking about spiritual things. And that was part of the journey of seeing some of these people come to faith in Christ. Well, friends, here today, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about getting people together over food, mixing believers and non-believers together. It's actually what Matthew did in the Bible. And this message is titled, Throw a Party, Matthew, part six of this series, Throw a Party. And we see Matthew's example. Let's have a look at Matthew here. We'll pick you up in uh, 5.27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. I want you to try and picture this setting. Um, so Matthew's in a tax office. He's probably heard Jesus preach many times. Jesus was a very famous preacher, prophet of the time and attracted often very large crowds. Matthew no doubt had heard him preach a number of times, possibly seen him heal the sick, that sort of thing. May have had some conversations. We don't know, but we assume that's most likely the case. Jesus, as he's praying about his key disciples, chooses Matthew to be one of them. And he approaches him in his workaday environment and says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew quits his job immediately, leaves everything to follow Jesus and become one of his disciples. Now, um, just to give you an idea how this all worked, uh, the Romans assessed a, a district, and in this case it was um, the Galilean area, and they would assess it as to how much tax should be coming in. Uh, and then people had to apply to be the tax collector. And uh, Matthew had applied clearly and got that position and done it probably for several years. Now, a lot of you know the rumour about tax collectors being dodgy and ripping people off. Well, let me explain a little bit about the taxation system of the time. Here's a few taxes that were fixed. Number one, there was a poll tax. Its taxation started for you 14-year-old lads here today. You're 14, you had to pay tax, a poll tax. 14 to 65, men, women, any girls here? 12 years old, you had to start paying tax. So women 12 to 65, that's just for the privilege of being part of the Roman Empire. Land tax. Land tax was 10% for farmers on all their grain. 10% of that, and uh, if it was wine, oil or fruit, it was 20%. So you had to pay that in kind 
or um, you had to, had to actually exchange it for cash. Income tax, you'll think this is fantastic and wish you were a part of the Roman Empire. Income tax was 1%. Now, in those above taxes, there was no room to move. The, the, the taxation master, the tax collector could not do anything with those. Those were fixed. However, there were duties. And this is where they ripped off the system. There was a tax payable on roads, Roman robes, roads, harbours and markets. That wasn't fixed. Uh, carts, for instance, uh, bringing in goods, you could tax the cart itself, every wheel on the cart and the animal which drew it. Uh, purchase tax on certain articles, import and export duties and so on. Now, they were the areas, because they were not fixed rates, some tax collectors, probably many tax collectors, upped the amount far more than it should be. And if the person couldn't pay, you know, they're bringing their cart with goods in, and so taxing that wheel, that wheel, that wheel, that wheel, the animal and the goods, and here's, here's the bill. And if they didn't have that amount of cash with them, so that's all right, I can loan you some money at an interest, further getting themselves into the taxation department's clutches. <laughs> well, consequently... Tax collectors were hated by many people because they ripped off the system um, and uh, they were considered as traitors to the Jewish people because they were, of course, doing this for the Roman government. Now, all tax collectors were wealthy to start with because to buy the rights to collect tax in an area, it cost a lot of dough. So they were already wealthy. Um, it's interesting too... By religious law, they could not attend synagogue. So you'd have uh, the temple guards or in a smaller synagogue that, you know, some of the Pharisees would say, you're not allowed in here. You know, they could not come. It would be equivalent to church, isn't it? They were not allowed to come by religious law. So the fact that now Matthew is called to be a follower of Jesus. A famous prophet, a guy who's not even allowed in the synagogue, must have been shocking to Matthew. He'd have been so surprised. Well, um, I wonder what Matthew did. So what was Matthew's approach, approach to being active in sharing his newfound faith in Jesus? Let's have a look. 5.29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. This is the pivotal verse for this message. Let me read it again. Then Levi, that's Matthew, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Let me describe the setting. Tax collectors, because of the amount of money they earned, they almost always had very large homes, like mansions. He would have had a huge entertainment area. That's how he could fit a big crowd of people in. And believe me, the food would have been first class. And so he throws a party. He decides, what, what can I do? I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to invite Jesus and his key disciples. I'm going to invite a bunch of my tax collecting friends and others and let's just see what happens. Put them all together. And you can imagine the conversations going on. His fellow tax collectors saying, I can't believe this new prophet. Look, he's called you to be a disciple, a tax collector. Mate, this guy must be different. Um, and it's, you can hear all of that going on around the table. You know, and... Um, I think uh, here we see something that actually uh, must be a concept, so to speak, or an approach to sharing the reality of the one true God that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, wants us to notice. Why do I say that? 
God has chosen to record this not once in the Bible, not even twice, but three times. We have this account three times, each giving a little bit of different detail. Three times. Now, if God says something in the Bible, you know, he, it's important. If he says something twice, it's quite important. Says it three times, I think it's extremely important. So he wants us to notice this. And um, one of the, the great uh, pastor evangelists of our time, he's retired now, but Bill Hybels planted a church uh, called Willow Creek many years ago. And um, one of the things that um, they developed was a, a, a teaching series. Some of you have done this, uh, titled Just Walk Across the Room. Let's have a quick look at the image of it. You remember that? Some of you have probably done that, DVD, book and study book. Um, in that series, uh, one of the things that they do, one of the chapters is all about Matthew meals. So their church coined the term Matthew meals. What do they mean? They meant getting together believers and non-believers around food, however that might look like. And um, I've done a heap of this over the years, and God definitely uses the model. Uh, let me uh, explain it a little bit more. And this is now from the book, just walk, uh, the... Um, the Spring Into Action book. This is directly from the book now. I'm going to look at uh, page 42 of the book. A few, a few tips. The best person to host such a meal is one most likely to get a few unchurched people to come. Matthew was a new convert, so he still had lots of non-believing friends. Another tip. Make a list of people you wish to invite and as a group, pray for them to be open to come and open to Christ. Make a date, preferably not your normal midweek date if it happens to be a small group Bible study type of group. It doesn't have to be that. It can be just a bunch of friends. Make a date, preferably not your midweek date, but rather a Friday night or a Saturday night. It can be helpful to base the event around something such as a birthday party, graduation, new baby, housewarming party, meet the new neighbours, etc. And if it's not a special event, you can add something to it. A bit of extra interest it could be, like on top of the food, such as a games night, kids sleepover, Xbox night, pool night, quiz night, you name it. Don't have to, it can be just the food, but you can add things to it. If it goes well, plan to hold the event each term, every three or four months. Make it a priority, this is important, the last, last bit of this section, listen to this. Make it a priority to go to your unchurched friends' events if they ask you. You can't expect them to come to your events if you don't go to theirs. As much as that might sound, oh, I never thought about doing this before, it works. It works. Let me give you an example. I did a similar series at Narry Warren Baptist and um, one of the ladies who ran a small group, quite a large small group, hers was all females, and she had about 20 ladies turn up on a Sunday morning, uh, sorry, a Monday morning at 10 o'clock at the church. And they would do Bible study and they'd have coffees and stuff. Their approach was they decided they would do a luncheon on a Monday morning. Now, obviously, it's not going to be nine to five workers are not going to get there. But a lot of those ladies were older and some of them close to retirement or in retirement. And they had friends that would work, that time would work for them. So they had a luncheon Monday, lunchtime. And as, as the study leader put it to me, she said, and a bunch of the ladies are going to practice their faith stories. Remember, we did that last week. They're going to practice their faith stories on the group. And that was the plan. And for any of those open to Christ, because they'd just finished the book Spring Into Action, the plan was the next study we're going to do is actually going to be something relevant to people who are new to Christianity. So that was their approach. That was a mostly older people who went to that group. Let me give you a younger person's example. 
Josh, who was uh, in his 20s in my church in England. Josh decided they would do a Matthew meal and their approach was in the home. And uh, he ran a small group anyway, as it was. And so his small group guys were going to help him out. And they were going to do like a pretty posh meal, seven course meal. So, um, you know, a couple of entrees, the mains, uh, I think then it was wine and cheese and finished with dessert and, and he's very good at making coffee. They had a very good coffee set up. That was the plan. They had some unchurched friends turn up and uh, they had, he, as he was explaining to me later in the week, conversations were amazing, <laughs> awesome conversations. In fact, it went so well, we're doing it every month. And that spread to other small groups in the church and they developed a little phrase um, I think Josh developed it, actually, and it was called one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. What did they mean? They meant that they met as a regular growth group uh, or life groups, as we called them in that church, and the idea was that we have three weeks where it's kind of Bible study and prayer, and then the fourth week, it's a Matthew meal, and that spread right throughout the small church, small group community in the church. Very, very effective. I realise some of you might have this question. Yeah, but what if we have a bunch of these people show up and some of them are a bit wild? You know, what if they, you know, they're, in, they're into smoking and they've got their cigarettes everywhere or they bring too much booze or they've got bad language, they're swearing all the time. How do you cope with all that? Well, I, I realise there's, um, there's some adjustments. I remember one night um, at my friend's, my next-door neighbours, who, who weren't believers but used to connect with us regularly, one night at a party at their house, um, a chap lifts up the glass top on their, their very nice wooden table. It had a glass top on it. You could just kind of lift it up. Not sure why they did that. Probably helped with cleaning and stuff because they were very clean people. He lifted it up, vomits all over the table and drops it again. There it is. Lovely patterns underneath the glass. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I know, I know, some, some wild stuff can happen. Um, but that guy, I'll say his first name, it's very common. That guy, John, came and did Alpha at my place a few months after that. Anyway, um, he didn't throw up at my place once, promise. <laughs> now, obviously, this idea that this is perhaps not the right thing to do is exactly what the Pharisees thought. Have a look at this. 5.30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, just could not get it at all. Then what on earth is this prophet Jesus and his disciples doing at, at this tax collector's house. In the miniseries in Jesus of Nazareth, how it portrays it is it's a large home, as you'd expect. Jesus walks in and, and there are people drinking these great bowls of wine. There's ladies that look like they're of ill repute in the household. It looks pretty wild. And there's this moment when Jesus tells a parable. You can hear a pin drop. And in this story, and it's also in The Chosen, Peter and Matthew hate each other. Because Matthew taxes him like crazy for his fishing business. They can't stand each other. And in this particular movie, it's not in the Bible, but in this particular movie, it's a point where Matthew and Peter are reconciled. Powerful. I love the way they do it. That movie's got about eight Academy Award winners in it, so it's, the acting's excellent. Um, you've got the idea. 
I realise that this scripture comes to mind when I share this. Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. You know, I think a key verse that I think Jesus lived by, or well, that's the writings of Peter, but I'm sure this is where Peter got it from, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, This one working? Yeah, there we go. Let me read the scripture. Needs a dramatic entrance, the scripture anyway. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I'd normally apply that amongst Christians, but let's be honest, I think that's what Jesus, he walks into that, that big banquet at Matthew's place and his love for people was deeper than his awareness that they've got stuff in their lives that they need to repent of, but his love for people was such he made it a priority to be there. Let me uh, finish with a final story. I'd been serving up in Sydney and um, Pastor Stuart Robinson, uh, the senior minister of Crossway Baptist for many years, uh, he'd been invited to preach at my church and we had him over for lunch afterwards and lovely conversations. And anyway, um, Stuart mentioned uh, the Crossway Conference was coming up. First time they were doing a conference and he was encouraging me to go along. Well, I didn't just go along. I ended up, by the end of the conference, was being tapped on the shoulder to join their church um, as, as a pastor, which we prayed into that for a few months and did the formal interview stuff, but ultimately felt, I think, God's in this. And so started at the church the beginning of the, the new year. Anyway, um, as part of what they wanted me to do, they wanted me to join the church as a pastor, understand the Crossway culture, get to know that, but ultimately then plant a branch church in the southeastern suburbs of Crossway Church. Um, so in the journey of doing that, we, uh, we bought a house in Berwick and uh, we bought it in mind of being, you know, a measure of outreach, uh, a place where outreach could be done well. It had a big decking area, which was great for barbecues, and it had one room that was ideal for a pool table and uh, shopped around managed to get a really nice pool table for not too much. Um, so we started doing this sort of thing, Matthew meals. Now, I, I, had, um, I, I see God's providence in this. Our, our next-door neighbours were big into their parties. They got to know us and said, oh, come and meet our friends. So we went to one of their parties. A lot of them were British, actually. And... Um, Got to know them, and their culture was actually doing parties pretty regular. So we went to two or three of those, and then we started to have some at our place. And I tell you what, it wasn't too long. The conversation started to happen. Mostly unchurched people wanting to find out spiritual stuff. Many, many conversations. And I was building a team for the new church. We hadn't launched services or anything at that point, but it's building a team. Some of them started to come. Mixing Christians with non-Christians and conversations were taking place. Well, the conversations got to the point where I'd mentioned the Alpha course a few times and said, well, why don't we do, do a course? It'll help answer some of these questions just here in the home. And so we did. It wasn't a big crowd of them, just eight or so. And they came along 
we did a meal, and over the meal we watched the Alpha DVD, then we discussed it, and as normal, then we went off and shot a bit of pool. Well, the Matthew meals led to an Alpha course, which led to people's salvation. What am I saying? Friends, one of the greatest uh, challenges we have in the Bible is to live out Jesus' primary objective, and that is to build God's kingdom. It's about sharing the gospel. It's about making disciples. It's about building his kingdom. It's a high-end priority. And the challenge, I guess, for you and I is, are we going to say, well, I didn't get much out of that message, or are we going to say, oh, my goodness, God wants me to win people to Christ. What am I going to do about that? We've got a whole variety of things we've looked at so far. What am I going to do about it? Am I going to take it seriously, accepting Jesus of Lord as Lord? When I was a new believer, I remember the pastor saying this very catchy little phrase. It goes like this. Because when you're a believer in Jesus, you would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I've accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Have you? Because if he's not Lord of all, in other words, if he's not Lord of your life, your whole life, then he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. What does that mean? It simply means if you're picking and choosing what you obey in the Bible, then of course he's not actually Lord, is he? You're still Lord of your life. Are we willing, as scary as it sounds, are we willing to do our part when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, let me pray for you as the worship team returns. Shall we pray together? Father, here this morning as once again we've had a look at a, uh, another approach to extending your kingdom, to sharing the gospel. And this one, for some people, will be a very accessible one. For others, it would terrify them. <laughs> I just want to pray that, uh, Lord, as we look at these various approaches, that each of us might have a, a willingness to say, I want to cooperate with your spirit rather than resist your spirit. I want to try and live out the teachings of Scripture rather than ignore the teachings of Scripture. So help us to be a, a church where we as believers are growing rather than perhaps things we've put on the back burner or kind of ignored for years, would actually be willing to embrace and say, Lord, I realise I have a responsibility here. I want to actually follow you. Am I a follower of Jesus? I want to follow you, Lord, and put you first in my life. And so, Father, we realise by your spirit, it's the strength you provide that enables us to do this. So help us to live out that reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.